Amen. Well, let us pray, and we are going to dive into the Word of God here today. Real quick, as we were uh, worshiping, I just felt the Lord lead me to do this. So uh, if you can, put a hand on your heart. And I want you to imagine a hospital room. There's a husband and wife. And in the arms of the wife, there's a newborn baby. Now, this couple has been trying for 10 years for this miracle to be in their arms. I want you to imagine and to envision the smile on their face and the tears coming from their eyes. You can tell that in that room right there, there is the deepest sense of affection. There is an overwhelming sense of gratitude in that room. Now, if you can somewhat emotionally feel that right now, that's called affection. That's called an affectionate heart. And it's that focus, that affection that we want to have placed on the Father, that when we look into his face, we experience the same thing that those parents would experience in that hospital room. So with that, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for a new series on prayer. We thank you that in all the things that we encounter in life, we get to have you in our corner. We have the God, the creator of the universe, who desires and longs for fellowship and communion with us. Let us never take that for granted. And now as we open up the scriptures, the written, actual voice of God, may you speak to us on an individual level and give to us not only what we need here for today, but to challenge us, to equip us, and to push us closer to your will, to your heart, and ultimately for the good of this world to know you. We ask a blessing on the message, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my son is about to wrap up his uh, first year in high school. He's a freshman at uh, Life High School in Waxahachie, and um, it's his first year in a public school. You know, ever since my son was 2.9 years old, he's been in private, small Christian schools. And so it was a big deal for us. Uh, He's now in a school of 1,000 people. He's doing very well, and thank you for all your prayers. I remember his preschool years. We had him on a three-year Montessori program, and, and that preschool program not only blessed my son, but it honestly taught Nikki and I how to be good parents. They really worked with us. The preschool director was a friend, and she really lovingly worked with us. We were 25 years old with an almost three-year-old entering school for the first time. And and I remember that um, my kid who loves sweets was having a little bit of trouble sitting still in preschool. In fact, on his very first day of preschool, he's walking around the playground, you know, learning uh, this new buddies that he's going to be walking preschool with, But he sees that one of the preschool teachers so happened to leave a mug filled with Starbucks coffee and creamer within a 2.9-year-old's reach. My son drank the entire mug. (laughs) Safe to say there was no nap time that day, right? He he would not sit still too much, and it might have been his father's fault who sent him to preschool with donuts and, and orange juice for breakfast, you know, just pure sugar and empty calories. And so the, the preschool director brought us in, and she says, you know, I would probably monitor his sugar level. I'm like, God, you're crazy. What, what does sugar have to do with, with this kid's behavior? Remember, he's 25 years old. And she says, we'll go on an experiment. Go the whole weekend without any sugar and see how he behaves. I'm like, yeah, you're crazy. Okay, I'll try it. I'll try it. So I found out that weekend, I don't know if you knew this or not, sugar is in everything. 13 grams of sugar in milk. There's sugar in ketchup. There's sugar in everything. So I was going a little crazy trying to figure out what to feed my kid because sugar was in everything, but we did a great job. And 100% no sugar that whole weekend. And I remember it was a Sunday night 
and we were at a restaurant as a family, and my kid was an angel all weekend long. And we're in, we're, he's perfectly fine. We're in a restaurant. He's not getting agitated or antsy or anything. And I'm like, no way could it just be sugar. So I got a big scoop full of frozen yogurt with sprinkles on it, and I gave him a bite, and he was bouncing off the walls within seconds. So ever since that weekend, uh, Gabriel and my wife, I'm not a sweets guy, um, but Gabriel and my wife, they uh, definitely only have a small dessert once a day, and we really watch to keep our sugar at a minimum. The reason I share this story, I share it as a metaphor. I want you to imagine that you are Gabriel, and sugar is an affectionate heart for the Lord. The more consistent you stay on sugar, the easier it is that when the Lord calls, you're ready the easier it is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, the easier it is to sense his manifest presence when you keep your heart red hot for the Lord. You don't drag your feet all week long just to get to church on Sunday and say, warm me up, Lord, fill me up, help me, I'm crawling into this place. Can you imagine that instead of the church being a spiritual hospital where everyone is dry and and depleted and on their last nerve, it's a room full of saints who have been keeping their hearts red hot all week. I mean, what happens corporately when we come in with that attitude? And today we're beginning a new series on prayer. And the title today is Praying Like Breathing. Prayer should be a very natural thing. And I believe, and what I want to focus on today, is that keeping a heart that's affectionate to the Lord makes a consistent prayer natural. It's what makes praying like breathing. And there's so much about the topic of prayer. I believe there's over 17,000 books on prayer on Amazon alone And all around the world, you see people praying. And that could be based on fear, because if they don't pray, they won't make it to heaven. That could be based on religion and cultural deals. They have to, whether they like it or not. That could be Christians who pray because it's something that they enjoy doing. Or it could be somebody who thinks that the only way that they'll get good things in life is if they beg and plead and wish and just plead before this God of heaven who's angry, sitting on the throne with the lightning bolt in his hand, ready to strike at any time. But I know that, you know, believer or atheist, every single person becomes a prayer warrior when there's turbulence on an airplane, I'll tell you that much. And I've seen a lot of confusion on prayer, a lot of confusion, mainly that it's this monologue where we wake up, we complain to God for five minutes and beg him for stuff and then say in Jesus' name, amen. You know, that it's begging and wishing and fear and complaining. And we have to be careful because if we're not watching what is pouring forth from our heart, we can end up calling prayer really just a time of confessing our unbelief, a time where we're complaining to God, even though he has the answer for everything that we have in life. And some of us may be bitter. Uh, Some of us may have a prayer life in history where it seems like God always shows up, but he always shows up at the very last minute. Why does he always do that, you know? God is the God of the answer prayer at 11.59 p.m. (laughs) At the very last minute, he shows up. And I think that many Christians are convinced that in condition to, that's how it works. That we beg God, we try to fix our behavior, because if we're better behaved, then God may answer us faster than everyone else. And then we beg and we get scared and we get doubtful, then we get engaged and finally at the last minute, he answers. And one pastor in my time of study said, maybe that's not God. Maybe God isn't the God of answered prayer at the last minute. Maybe it's that the Christian is finally so engaged and all their heart's affections are on the Lord at that time because they're so desperate that maybe because they're so engaged, that's when God's like, all right, I have your attention. 
Now I can show you. Now I can teach you. Now I can give to you what your heart is now ready for. I'm not sure. But prayer in my personal definition is a two-way spiritual and relational communication with God in its simplest form. It's an avenue of communication that the creator of the universe gave to us that we can speak to him and he can speak to us. And that, that should blow our minds every single day. The fact that we don't just live life for a God that we can't physically see and then one day we'll be in heaven. No, we have access to the very heart and the voice of God. And we can't turn our affections on God on Sunday and then come Monday morning we start complaining and we take our affections off of him and we put it on our work and we put it on our kids and we put it on everything else and live in a way that's distraction. We have to keep our hearts aflame in intimacy with God. And I know we get to that place where it gets tough sometimes where we get bitter or dry or numb, you know, just because of life and it's hard to sense God or hear from him. I remember going through one of those seasons and a pastor friend of mine, uh, she told me, she's like, so you're having a difficulty connecting with God. Okay, well, how long does it take for you to become intimate with God? I'm like, how long does it take me? I don't know. It depends. I mean, depending on the situation, depending on this. And I'm rambling. She goes, okay, time out. How long does it take for you to be intimate with your wife? I'm like, hey, well, I just got to look at her, right? And she goes, exactly. And the thing is that because I can connect heart to heart with my wife so fast and so easily, it's because all day long I'm talking to her, I am with her, I'm going through everything in life side by side with her, I am forever a student of my wife. But sometimes it's so easy to do that on a human level, but we forget to do that on a God level. And that in every situation, in every decision, in everything that we face and that we do in life must be, Father, what do you say? Jesus lived so sentence by sentence with the Father. You can see him in, in such places like John 2. And he says, no, my time is not yet come. I'm not going to turn water into wine. And then the next second, he's like, yeah, let's turn this water into wine. <laughs> like, what, Jesus? You just said no, and now you're saying yes? Well, maybe God said no at first, but then he sees the faith of Mary, and then he tells Jesus yes. And just in a matter of seconds, Jesus can be so attuned to the Father's voice in his heart that he can hear no in one sentence and then the next hear yes and doesn't even question it. Are we that connected to the Father? Uh, Andrew Murray, who is a definite voice on uh, the school of prayer, he says that if the spiritual life be healthy and if you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, that consistent prayer will be natural. Consistent and ongoing prayer will be natural. So as long as Gabriel was on sugar, he was going to be a wild man. And once you take the sugar away, he's calm as can be. As long as the believer's heart of affection is aflame, they'll be a wild man for the Lord. But the moment we take our affections off of God, we become timid, doubtful, and fearful. And God won't force us to pray. And, you know, that's a very interesting thing, in my opinion, that God won't make us pray. He invites us into a conversation. He invites us to the table. And we see in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. That means a purposeful, intentional, I'm going to make myself get into a place where I prioritize prayer. See, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious over nothing. Wake up tomorrow morning, put that on the top of your to-do list. Today, I'm going to be anxious for nothing. And then see if you can get that done before you try to get anything else done. It's a big statement. But that is the heart that we have before God, that we we not be anxious, but we trust and we look to him. And if we get into a posture of prayer and turn our affections to him, all the things that we can receive, the things that we can get that we wouldn't have if we didn't slow ourselves down enough to receive. 
So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the most famous portion of Scripture that talks about prayer, and that's Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6 again in verse 5. Jesus is, again, comparing the spiritual culture of the day, which is very legalistic. They were obsessed with following the rules, very pharisaical, where they wanted to look good on the outside, but inside they were hypocrites, and and they just wanted to do enough and do what they knew to do to get what they wanted from God. I don't care about relationship. I just want the goods, and God, what do I need to do to get it? I got to sacrifice. I got to dress this way. I can't trim the corners of my beard, and I got to follow 613 rules. That's fine as long as I get what I want. And Jesus came in where everybody thought he would come in with military power and overthrow the Romans. He came with humility and serving and love, and he taught us a new way to pray. Verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So if we were to try to modernize this, that would be, you know, the lady who's at Starbucks and she's taking a selfie on Instagram and she has to position her mug that says all things are possible. And then she has her little muffin and her open Bible. It's always somewhere in Ezekiel because that's not where you're really reading. She just happened to open the Bible as a prop. And she has a little journal and her multicolored pens. And she's like, me and Jesus time. But that's the only time she read the Bible that week. But everybody believes that she's a diehard Christian, but no, she just got inspired. She went, she took a selfie, but then the next day she gets discouraged and forgets to read. And it's just, I want to look good to other people, but inside my heart's not really with it. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And doing things in secret with the Lord in my opinion, is just saying, God, this is how much it means to me, and this is how real I am with this, that I don't care who knows this, I don't care who sees this, I only care that you see this. And that's why I think it's not secret see, and you're trying to be away from community. It's in the matters of your heart that are very valuable to you, me and you, God. Verse 7, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And some people may feel hopeless in that sense, like, well, why do I even need to pray if God already knows what I want? Can I just like, uh, dear heavenly father, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, why, why spend the time praying? Well, because if you think that, that I shouldn't pray because God already knows, then you've already defeated the whole point of prayer. Every spiritual discipline is an avenue to the heart of God. Every spiritual discipline is to get you closer into the presence of God in conversation. Sure, he already knows. He's God. But you engage in conversation so he can show you, he can deposit into you, and you have this relationship with him. You see, prayer is a a spiritual discipline. And we can't fall in love with the discipline of prayer and not the one that we're praying to. Because if you fall in love with praying... You've defeated the purpose. It's who who we are are talking to and receiving from. Then he teaches us the famous prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father. Notice how he doesn't say my Father. So though we pray in the secret places in our inner chamber, he says our Father. 
This is a community thing. Christianity was never meant to be an individual sport. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In a time out there, in some translations, it actually says uh, more closely to the Greek, give me tomorrow's bread for today. I believe that in some cases, God is the God where he fuels you with everything that you need to accomplish what's going to come next. Jesus was baptized, received God's love, received God's pleasure, received God's affirmation and authority before he went into the wilderness and into ministry. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, no one's here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Now in that no condemnation, go and sin no more. God sometimes fills us and, and fuels us in order to go do what needs to be accomplished. And I love this, that give us our daily bread. God, don't just give me what I need, uh, minister to all my physical needs. No, it's provide for me, God, so that I can. So uh, give us this day our daily bread. In verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And again, this is a a real intimate and real uh, challenge that Jesus is giving. To all the other ones who just recited prayers, wore the prayer shawls with the specific knots that they would go down their list and recite over and over again. There was a time and a place, and there's great uh, symbolism in that and great connection you can find in that. But he says, no, I need to take you from your mind to your heart, from these rules to relationship, and that prayer becomes an avenue where you're connecting heart to heart with the Father. And I think if we want to live in that freedom of, of purely living free in relationship with God and receiving the most from our time in communication and in prayer with him, we gotta get some stuff out of the way. I would encourage you, Don't ever let your time of prayer turn into something where you are trading your worship for worry. Don't trade your worship for worry in your time of prayer. Um, I've woken up many a times at 2 o'clock in the morning and automatically got hit by because I'm I'm the type of person that when I'm going to bed, I'm not dwelling on the Lord and just receiving from him. I'm going through mentally what tomorrow is going to be. I'm building my mental checklist that when that buzzer goes off on my phone's alarm and I'm dropping my kid off at school, here's all the things I got to get done. And if I don't get them done, things are going to get piled up. So that's how my brain is working. So come 2 a.m., what happens? I wake up and my brain's like, finally, you're awake. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's tackle these things. And it takes me a long time to shut these things off. Or, or sometimes I'll wake up and I'll get hit by this undue stress and anxiety that comes out of nowhere. So unnecessary. You know, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish that? Where's this money going to come from? <laughs> like, why do you need to deal with that when you're trying to sleep? You know, but because I've traded my worship for worry and I didn't fall asleep prepping myself in the spirit, I fell asleep prepping myself for my to do list. Uh, Derek Prince, uh, you know, awesome preacher, he said one time that if all you have is 10 minutes to pray in your busy life and schedule, you only have 10 minutes to pray. Spend eight of those minutes in worship because you'll be amazed at how much more you can accomplish in two minutes in prayer when you've just given your heart over to the Lord for eight. You know, 10% of your time with the Lord, just worshiping him. And worship is not praise. Worship is not air one, positive and encouraging and K-love and all those other things. Because Christian radio, sometimes it's worshiping God, talking about his bigness, talking about he never fails. That's magnifying God. 
But sometimes Christian radio is praise, thanking God for what he's done, praising him for all of his attributes. And other times it's just flat out depressing. Sometimes I skip the Christian radio. I'm, I'm listening to smooth jazz because these people are depressed. They got to get saved. They're there complaining about their problems and their issues and woe is me. I'm like, brother, Jesus died for you, you know. But there's a difference and we need to understand that, that worship is magnifying who God is. Worry is magnifying your fears. So don't get into a place of prayer and start magnifying your worries and, oh, God, you need to answer me. You need to do this. You need to. No, no, no. God, you know, before I even ask, you have an answer. Help my heart to connect with you. Help me to press into you right now. Father, you have an answer. Is there something you wish to tell me? I will write this down right now. We go into that in prayer. Jesus gives a really powerful, challenging command in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If your heart's troubled, that's fine, because Jesus also says, in this world you have trials and tribulations, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So he gives us an answer from when we are hurting, but he's commanding us, don't let your heart be troubled. Be worried about many things and so forth. And worship is so vital in our confidence to the Lord and not to be intimidated by the world and to all the trials. So we pray to be in his presence. We don't pray just for an answer. And there's some confusion on that. Uh, This is not in your notes. It's not on the slides or anything. The Lord just put this on my heart this morning. But let me read to you real quickly, Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to read just the first eight verses real quick, a parable on prayer. Again, that was Luke 18, verse 1 through uh, about 8, if you're taking notes. He says, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, for she kept coming to him, saying, Give me my legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but after she said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will not find faith on this earth. Now, many people think, okay, I got to be like that woman. I'm going to pester God and twist his arm to the point where he gives to me. And I don't think that is the heartbeat. I think the heartbeat behind is to be like this woman where you're consistently going before the Father. There is an answer, but it's not let me manipulate you, God, and twist your arm. I don't believe that prayer, when we're thinking about answers to prayer, prayer isn't we twist God's arm until we get an answer. Consistent prayer sometimes preps us to be the answer, preps us to be willing to answer God when he gives us the answer. Because we, we can sit there and just beg God and beg God and beg God and beg God and, and wait for that answer to come. Or we can be in constant prayer where God is molding us and shaping us to be ready for when the answer comes. Or sometimes we have to be the answer and we're too afraid to do it. Or we're, we're too fearful or too doubtful to do that. Uh, sometimes we don't like what God has to say in prayer, you know. But where God guides, he provides where God leads us, we know that I didn't have a rhyme for that one. But <laughs> where, God, where God leads us, we know that he's going to be with us, bottom line. 
So we can't trade our worship for worry. And, and don't be afraid also to, to be natural with your prayer in the sense of you can have a plan. That's okay. You know, prayer is organic. Prayer is relational. Prayer is spontaneous. Prayer is throughout the day. But you can also have a plan. I remember being at uh, Toyota um, in their customer lounge. I was getting my car serviced a couple weeks ago, and I love Toyota's lounge. They got free coffee, free fountain drinks. They got these awesome little cubicles with a a plug for your laptop. I get so much work done when I go get my car serviced because even with an appointment, it's like two or three hour wait. I mean, just everybody goes there, but I love it. I'm in my little cubicle with my free coffee. Free always tastes better, you know? (laughs) Somebody took us to a Mediterranean, our our really good friends took us to a Mediterranean buffet 